Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. Welcome. It is News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. I got to spend time on the campaign trail today with Casey Cagle, the lieutenant governor. He went through... Uh, Sandersville, Dublin, Macon, continuing on a bus tour. I, I tried to get on the bus with him, but we wound up having a family issue that kept me from doing it, but was able to spend some time with him in Macon earlier today before the show. Uh, had a good crowd show up, a very prominent crowd down in middle Georgia. I hear the same thing happen in Dublin, The kind of a who's who of the local uh, business and political leaders showing up uh, for the lieutenant governor. He's got good support. The AJC poll has him at 41% with about a third of voters undecided. You you know, it's going to be very interesting because I have looked at that poll and there were not a ton of young people in the poll, but there was an interesting thing that as, as the crowd got younger, uh, the, the support for the lieutenant governor was a little bit weaker. I, I, again, though, you're not talking a lot of people overall in the polling when you get down to the youngest voters. There's also more skepticism of gun rights among young voters. Um, I just, so I, I, I've talked to two different people who look at the poll two different ways. And one says if the lieutenant governor really came out hard towards the end, he might be able to get out of a runoff because he's at 41% already. Uh, And you've got so many people undecided, he could probably persuade them. Uh, And then I've got another friend of mine who his thinking is that the lieutenant governor is probably not good news for him because he has very high name ID. He's already at 41%, and you got a a third undecided that that third plus the others are essentially, uh, they want an alternative, uh, which... All of this in my mind suggests that we're probably going to have a negative runoff. And I suspect, now the lieutenant governor, for those of you who don't recall, if you weren't here, you're new to the area, Casey Cagle began the his lieutenant governor tenure having beaten Ralph Reed. And I remember that race. In fact, that race, I, I wrote for a while on uh, my old blog, Peach Pundit. My buddy Clayton started it. Uh, it was during that campaign where things were so crazy. We thought, you know, we need a horse race blog just to who's up, who's down, both sides being able to tell on their own side. 
And I knew Ralph Reed. I didn't know Casey Cagle at all. And so I was sympathetic to Reed, but I was just, it was, the Cagle campaign was just amazing, fired on all cylinders. And they were able to beat Ralph Reed, who had massive statewide name recognition. They made him radioactive. Now, Cagle's consultant in that race is now running Brian Kemp's race for governor. And the polling suggests that Cagle and Kemp are going to be the people in the runoff, although Hunter Hill has a fighting chance. Now, I will tell you from the outside that it does appear to me, based on the other polling, the private polling that's out there, I'm not even talking about the campaign's internal polling. I'm talking about the third-party groups who are watching the race, seeing if they might be able to shake it up in some way. Uh, that multiple other groups are showing pretty much what the AJC is showing uh, from separate, also credible pollsters. I'm not talking about the fly-by-night pollsters who will use the AJC as their benchmark for who's ahead and who's not. Um, it, there's a thought on this on on who may get in. So there, it does appear that Hunter Hill and Brian Kemp both have strong shots to get into the runoff, and both of them are closing positively. Kemp has a slight advantage in that he has more money in the bank, and he's only just now beginning to spend. I played you his ad the other day. Hunter Hill has his closing ad out. Um, his first ad kind of differentiated himself from the crowd altogether. Um, and this ad he's up is is his closing sell on why people should vote for him. It goes on air, I believe, today in the metro area. Army Ranger training made Hunter Hill a leader. But during three combat tours of duty, it was Christ who strengthened it. Make us be sharp when we're in the gun and behind the wheel, and give us the strength to use our abilities to help train this A&P. Christ's name, amen. Let's roll. As governor, Hunter will protect Christian values, defend our Second Amendment, and eliminate the income tax. Leader, fighter, Christian. Hunter Hill, the true conservative for governor. The true conservative for governor. Everybody playing up uh, conservative. It is notable, I think, that uh, the conservatives in the legislature are backing Hunter Hill. Um, and it'll be, it's going to be, it looks like uh, he or, or Brian Kemp in the runoff. Now, Clay Tippins and Michael Williams, there's still a couple of weeks left to go. Uh, it depends on how much money they're willing to spend, given the polling where they are to try to get into the runoff. Uh, maybe they will dump a, a great amount of money. The problem you have in these situations is getting into the runoff. You know, the way you designate money in this state is, let, let's just, just keep the math easy. You can give $1,000 per election. Now, what that actually means is you can give $1,000 for the primary, $1,000 for the runoff, $1,000 for the general. So you can give $3,000. But you have to budget it. You can't spend in the primary the money someone gives you for the the runoff or the general. So, for example, let's just keep it very simple so you understand where I'm coming from. I told you maximum, and this isn't the right number, but I'm just to make it simple, $1,000 per election. Uh, so that's 1000 for the primary, 1000 for the runoff, 1000 for the general. Well, in the primary, you can't spend $1,500 because you may have gotten a $3,000 check from someone, but 2000 of those dollars are for the runoff in the general. So you've got to make sure you're not spending money 
that is designated for the runoff and the general election. You have to be very, very careful in your budgeting in that regard. And so Clay Tippins, for example, looking at his uh, money, he's got money saved for the, the runoff and he's got money saved for the general, but he can't spend it in the primary. He would have to tap his own money. And the financial disclosures uh, suggest that he doesn't have a massive pool of money from which he can draw from on, on personal wealth to be able to fund it. Michael Williams has more personal wealth that he can fund. And in fact, he is trying to mostly fund this race himself. The downside of funding the race yourself instead of going out and trying to collect donations is that you're to some degree precluding a ready army of investors in your campaign. I mean, think about it. If you give Casey Cagle a hundred bucks, you're probably committed to trying to get him elected. If, if you're not giving someone money, well, then how committed are you to that person's election? You can sell that very well. And I think Michael Williams has done a great job of this saying he's, he's not for sale. No one's giving him money. He's doing this himself. Uh, and he's not going to be for sale that people can trust him. And I do believe that's true. Uh, but to some degree, you also then I think sometimes make some strategic calculations that uh, don't go a long way towards building up your base um, because you, who are those people? Uh, you, you know who your base is with your donors. Uh, Cagle, I mean, just from the turnout that he's seen today in middle Georgia, uh, Cable, uh, Cagle's base of support is the business community and the, the strong Republican leaders. Lots of state senators today. Uh, Chamber of Commerce types, uh, bankers and whatnot, the, the prominent people who can write large checks, and that's going to help him getting into a runoff. I have not seen the other candidates on the campaign trail uh, coming through anywhere near where I live. Uh, Hunter Hill will be coming through on Thursday to middle Georgia. Interestingly, he's stopping at one of my favorite restaurants, uh, Janine's, uh, on Thursday night, which is kind of a hotbed of activity and making for the older Republican retirees. They're really, really targeting them there. Uh, Kemp, I think, will be on his bus tours. Well, if I can get out on the bus tours for some of them, I just want to go out and see who all turns out. Interesting cross-section right there. But if the AJPC poll holds up on this governor's race right now, you're going to get Cagle into a runoff. And I just think it's going to be a very, very nasty runoff. I could be wrong on this. I, I absolutely can. Maybe they all want to run positive runoffs. But I, I just looking at just the 2006 lieutenant governor's race that Cagle was in, looking at the governor's races, uh, including the the Nathan Deal Karen Handel runoff, I just think you tend to get it a more nasty affair as particularly the second place person tries to convince people that, you know what, your gut was right for being undecided. You shouldn't have gone with that guy. And, and that guy, Casey Cagle, is trying to convince people to come over. It's going to just be a mudslinging affair. Get ready for it. Let me have a brief timeout for this week's sponsor, and that would be Quip, uh, which is a fantastic toothbrush. I love my Quip toothbrush. I have been using it for a while. Uh, the truth is most of us are probably brushing our teeth wrong anyway, not long enough. We forget to change our brush. Uh, I know for the longest time I went without changing my brush, and I didn't realize it actually sharpens. When you brush your teeth, it actually sharpens the bristles, and in the process of sharpening the bristles, you can do gum damage. You can wear off the enamel in your teeth, so you want to actually change your brush. Heads and Quip does that. It's an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of the bulkier brushes you can barely fit in the back of your mouth, and it packs just the right amount of vibration to help clean your teeth. It's got a built in timer that helps you clean for the dentist recommended two minutes while guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. I really like it, and it has a great subscription.
subscription plan. They deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. I actually just got new brush heads last week, I think, uh, for my toothbrush. Uh, so Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. So you get your first refill pack free by going to getquip.com slash Eric. That's G-E-T-Q-I, am I doing this right? G-E-T-Q-U-I-P. Let's try that again, shall we? G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Eric. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash E-R-I-C-K. That's getquip.com. Folks, listen, I have been using this toothbrush now for a while. I did just get my brush heads. It is great. And really the coolest thing, they don't really sell this themselves. And I'm just, I'm telling you, you don't have to travel with a recharger. Every electric toothbrush I've ever had, you had to travel with the recharger or it was really bulky because of the batteries. This one, they have streamlined it. It's one AAA battery. It has lasted me three months and still has charge in it. Uh, but yet when they sent me the new brush head, they sent a new battery with it too. So a great, great product. Highly recommend it. Getquip.com slash Eric. I do not want to devote a lot of time to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I, I don't think I need to. Um, I don't even know who Michelle Wolf is, the, the comedian who was there. I think it is very interesting the gaslighting that liberals are now doing to Americans. For those of you who don't know, gaslighting is essentially trying to convince you that uh, something you saw with your own eyes is not so. Uh, Michelle Wolf was deeply insulting to uh, Sarah Sanders, deeply insulting about her looks, her demeanor, uh, her weight, uh, on and on it went, uh, it was just offensively so. And today she and her liberal friends are coming out saying, no, oh, no, no, I was complimenting her. Uh, this is your own bias in what you heard. No, it's not. Uh, and to have the White House uh, Correspondents Association come through and first refuse to apologize, and only after a, a large number of prominent reporters, including Brett Baer of Fox News and Maggie Haberman of the New York Times, came out and said it was deeply offensive, uh, did the uh, White House Correspondents Association apologize. Uh, there are multiple Americas. Uh, you know, Alfie Evans, uh, the toddler from Great Britain we've talked about, is dead now. And you had a, a group of elite people hostile to lower class Catholics in Britain decide that they knew best and that kid needed to die. Who cared what his parents thought? And you have the same thing happen in Washington, D.C. A lot of these reporters are, are well-to-do in elite circles of atheists uh, and progressives. They think they know better than you and how you should live your life. And they are perfectly happy cheering on this this vulgar person insulting a woman personally on stage, yet they want to talk about feminism and the like, and then say, well, the president insults people too. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when two wrongs don't make a right. Now, when we come back, we got to get on to the Iran deal. Big news today from Benjamin Netanyahu. It's 38 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Uh, folks, if you weren't listening on Friday, um, we are doing a resurgent conference in Austin, Texas, August uh, 3rd, 4th, and 5th. 
many of you have come to my former Red State gatherings, uh, including here in Atlanta. Uh, Red State largely is no more. Uh, I am picking this up with the resurgent and am very happy to have you come. Uh, a great lineup of speakers, uh, Matt Bevan from Kentucky, Rick Scott from Florida, Dave Bratt from Virginia, Ted Cruz from Texas, along with Greg Abbott, the governor there, uh, Pete Ricketts from Nebraska. We're inviting just a, a, a slew of people and some great workshops on uh, local conservative politics, how to get involved locally in politics, uh, how to use the Internet as a grassroots activist, things like that. So if you want to come, uh, text the word Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, uh, to 345-345, and look forward to having you there. Uh, now, uh, we need to get in. I want to spend time on the Iran deal and what Benjamin Netanyahu did today. I need a little more time than this segment allows, uh, and I hope you will stick around for this reason. What you are beginning to hear today is from Obama-supporting reporters who loved his Iran deal, claiming that much of the information is old news. In fact, that is true. Much of the information about the Iran deal is old news, the stuff that Benjamin Netanyahu released today. But it's old news that they all knew at the time of the Iran deal, and they denied was true. That's the point of this. Much of the information, what they're saying now is, well, we all knew this stuff back during the Iran deal. This isn't new news. Yes, but then they denied it. We need to spend some time on this. And I, again, I, I don't have a, a ton of time in this segment, so please stick around. Uh, if you can't, uh, text the word SHOW to 444 so you can listen to it later as I walk you through it. Right now, though, there are two stories that are really burning up Washington as I speak. Literally, uh, not literally burning it up, but literally just making waves around Washington, D.C., among email, text messages and stuff. The very first which is that uh, General Kelly has been called in the White House insulting the president, calling him an idiot, uh, thinks he's saving the U.S. from the president. Here's the headline. This is at NBC News. Uh, Kelly thinks he's saving the U.S. from disaster, calls Trump idiot, says White House staffer. Subtitle, some current and former officials say they expect Kelly to leave by July and that Trump and Kelly seem to have tired of each other. Uh, Carol Lee and Kristen Walker, uh, Stephanie Rule are reporters on this along with Courtney Cube. Uh, they are good reporters. Uh, they are very good reporters, and I don't doubt that this is their story and they have these White House sources saying this. Uh, but stick with me here. Let me just read you the opening. White House Chief of Staff John Kelly has eroded morale in the White House in recent months with comments to aides that include insulting the president's intelligence and casting himself as the savior of the country, according to eight current and former White House officials. The officials say Kelly portrays himself to the Trump administration aides as the lone bulwark against catastrophe, curbing the erratic urges of a president who has a questionable grasp on policy issues and the functions of government. He has referred to Trump as, quote-unquote, an idiot multiple times to underscore his point, according to officials who say they've witnessed the comments. Kelly calls the allegations total BS. Eight current and former White House officials, they do not tell us how many are current and how many are former, just eight people who work or have worked there. So I listen to me here uh, on this, because this is the point that isn't being made that should be made. 
I believe the reporters are telling the truth that they have these sources and these sources have said this. I don't believe they would make up the story. The question is not the story. The question is which aides inside and outside of the White House are trying to get General Kelly fired. Because it appears we are in yet again a situation within this White House that we know all too well where there are certain factions within the White House who are pushing their agenda and in pushing their agenda are trying to get the obstacles to their agenda fired. And it appears that the obstacle to their agenda is John Kelly, the chief of staff. And so the question is not whether or not this happened. The question is who is stirring this pot uh, trying to get General Kelly ousted and whether or not they're making up the stories. I'm sure they told, I'm sure they, White House spokespeople are on the record denying that any of this is true, but you've got White House sources saying it is true. So the question isn't whether or not the reporters have the sources saying this. The question is whether or not those, the sources are lying to try to undermine John Kelly. And that could very well be likely. So who is that? So there's another story coming out of the White House today. This is about Ronnie Jackson, the president's doctor who he nominated to be Secretary of Veterans Affairs. Uh, he is He's walked back to his nomination, withdrew it, and went back to the White House. There were a series of attacks on Ronnie Jackson. Those attacks involved him being drunk on the job, passing out pills, beating on a woman's door at night on a foreign trip, wrecking a car while drunk, um, several other things. The White House Secret Service staff say they have no record of Ronnie Jackson wrecking a car or beating on the door of this woman overseas. And I've said this one as well. I, I mentioned that one on air. I didn't mention the wrecked car on air. I mentioned the beating on the door. It was reported from multiple news outlets. Uh, the wrecked car one just came from CNN. Jonathan Swan at Axios pointed out that that he was told all this stuff uh, last Sunday when he reported the disturbing allegations about uh, Ronnie Jackson, but he wasn't going to report them because he hadn't verified whether they were true, but, but they were known and circulating. So the reason I raise this is because there's got to be some element of truth to at least some of the stories about Ronnie Jackson. And the reason I say that is because he's not being allowed back into his job as the president's doctor. He's being forced out of the White House. If he had really been slandered and smeared and ruined in that way over false allegations... You know and I know that this president tends to stick up for people he believes have been falsely and maliciously aligned, maligned. That this president has decided he does not want Ronnie Jackson back as his doctor suggests there is a level of truth in at least some of the allegations enough that uh, people in the White House don't want him to continue being the president's doctor. I don't know what is true and what is not true about the allegations on Ronnie Jackson. And I tried not to bring up the allegations about the wrecked car and, and things like that um, because they weren't sourced. Although by the time, I guess by the end of the week when he was withdrawing his nomination, it was worth talking about because th those were the allegations causing him to withdraw, even though the Secret Service says there's no record of them. But that the White House won't let him come back is a pretty big red flag that there were problems uh, related to him on the job. So they can say he was slandered or whatnot, but there had to be an element of truth there somewhere that they're telling him not to come back. Hey, hey. Hey.
is 56 after the hour. I, I So I got to tell you, I've been hesitant to do this, but I think I'm going to. Charlie and I talked about it earlier. Uh, I am welcome as the candidates are now for the governor's race out there. Uh, going statewide now, bus tours and whatnot, I'm happy to allow them to call in and check in and let us know what's going on with their campaign, uh, where they're headed, and and make their closing pitch as we get into the runoff. I am very happy that, by and large, these have been positive campaigns, that they have been... Uh, they haven't really attacked each other that much. I, I think the the hardest punch thrown thus far was uh, Clay Tippins against uh, Casey Cagle and Hunter Hill, and I didn't think it was uh, that hard of a punch. Uh, and I realized that the Hill people were upset because they didn't like being called Benedict Arnold given his service in the military. Totally get that. Uh, Cagle people as well upset. But it, we haven't had a nasty campaign season so far. What we're about to have is a very nasty campaign season of getting out of the Iran deal. The Obama administration folks who structured it are up in arms today at Bibi Netanyahu. We'll talk about that when we come back. It is the second hour. Eric Erickson here, nine after the hour. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Phone lines are open, of all things. They really are. Moshe Fakrazada. Moshe Fakrazada. It's not a phrase, it's a name. Moshe Fakrazada is a Ph.D. nuclear engineer. He's a senior member of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard. He is in charge of Iran's nuclear program and has been for a decade. In 2014, the Wall Street Journal produced the first known picture of Moshin Vakrazada. And in so doing set off alarm bells across the West. He was well-known, uh, Fakhrizada was, his competence and skill well-known, and he had never been seen before. And here comes the Wall Street Journal piece with a picture. An Iranian opposition group had smuggled out a picture of Moshin Fakhrizada and gave it to Western reporters, the Wall Street Journal being one of the very few to publish it, despite protests from people in the Obama administration. Now, the Iranian government came out, and they did not deny that the picture was of Akrazada. What they did was they attacked the group that produced the picture, claiming that it was a dishonest group, you couldn't trust the group, etc., etc., etc. They never actually said that the picture itself was wrong. They said that the group was just a bunch of liars. They attacked the group. Now, the Obama administration denied that Iran was doing what Iran was doing. The Obama administration said that, in fact, yes, they knew that Iran had at one point tried to develop nuclear weapons, but that they did agree that Iran was probably using peaceful uh, developing peaceful nuclear architecture 
and that we should help them and incentivize them continuing to only develop peaceful nuclear um, peaceful nuclear reactors. And that's why Moshe Vakhrazada was problematic because he was in charge of a weapons manufacturing facility and everyone knew it and so it had to be denied so today benjamin netanyahu had a presentation in israel on information smuggled out of iran by israeli spies and it's been very interesting to watch this unfold today one of the things to note is that Benjamin Netanyahu made his presentation in English. The official language in Israel is Hebrew. It's not English. It's very odd that the Prime Minister of Israel would make a big presentation in Israel in English. He wouldn't speak to the Knesset in English. He wouldn't speak to Tel Aviv University in English. He wouldn't speak to the crowds, the campaign crowds in English, but he spoke English in this big presentation today. He did it because he wants to influence not Israeli opinion. He did it because he wants to influence American opinion. And what he provided today in his presentation, what he showed is actually fascinating because it gives you a a window inside the lying conspiracy of Obama-era officials who were so convinced they needed to protect the legacy of their precious Barack Obama, they decided facts needed to fly out the window. And that gets me to Moshe Fakhrizada. So it, it turns out in the treasure trove of documents released by the Israelis today, uh, Moshin Fakhrizadeh is in charge of the nuclear program, is in charge of weapons development, and that is his picture. And you know what the response has been from Obama administration officials today? That this is all old news. That they had seen all these documents. That they knew they all existed. And that's the point. You, you know, I mentioned gaslighting in the first hour uh, with Michelle Wolf, who insulted Sarah Sanders, uh, her appearance and everything else, and is now coming out and saying, I didn't insult her appearance. I don't know what you think you saw, but that wasn't it. Well, it was obvious that's what she was doing. Those were her, her plain statements. And yet she's denying it, trying to convince you you didn't see what you saw. The Obama administration is now coming out saying, well, we knew all this stuff all along and they're gaslighting you. They are trying to convince you you didn't see what you saw all along. And what you saw all along was an American government at the time under Barack Obama who was convinced, convinced that Iran was done with its nuclear weapons program days, that it was done. It was over. It wasn't going back. It was only trying to seek nuclear um, production for civil uses, not for military uses and we could help them. And this Moshe Fakhrizadeh guy was, was a boogeyman who didn't exist. None of these things existed. And now they're like, oh yeah, we, we knew all along that this stuff existed. We looked and vetted at this. No, they did not. They did not. They handed American foreign policy over to Ben Rhodes, a failed uh, fiction writer, who went on record bragging about being able to lie to certain reporters to get them to produce spin uh, that was helpful to Barack Obama getting the Iran deal done. And it turns out that Iran was 
developing a nuclear weapons program at a far more recent date than the Obama administration would admit. It turns out now, today, Iran is saying that it would be very easy for them to flip the switch and enrich their their uranium to weapons grade. So in other words, we didn't wipe out their capacity to do it, as Barack Obama claimed. We did not stop their capacity to do it. Iran is coming out today and saying, oh yeah, you get out of this deal, we'll start it tomorrow. That should be physically impossible according to the terms of the deal they entered with Barack Obama. Someone's lying, and I assure you, the Iranians are lying. I don't think they could flip the switch that easily, but it is more and more apparent that um, Barack Obama and his team lied about the deal as well. They were so into legacy building, though. I mean, listen to Barack Obama talking about Donald Trump and and the deal. When the president-elect comes in, and he's consulting with his Republican colleagues on the Hill, that they will look at the facts. Because to unravel a deal that's working and preventing Iran from pursuing a nuclear weapon uh, would be hard to explain. But it turns out that they've been pursuing nuclear weapons all along and are now today admitting that they could flip the switch and do it tomorrow. And then there's, there's this Clinton and Obama hanging their hat on all these deals, including North Korea. I am pleased that the United States and North Korea yesterday reached agreement on the text of a framework document on North Korea's nuclear program. This agreement will help to achieve a long-standing and vital American objective, an end to the threat of nuclear proliferation on the Korean Peninsula. Yesterday was a historic day. The comprehensive long-term deal that we achieved with our allies and partners to prevent Iran from obtaining a nuclear weapon represents a powerful display of American leadership and diplomacy. This agreement is good for the United States, good for our allies, and good for the safety of the entire world. This deal makes our country and the world safer and more secure. North Korea will freeze and then dismantle its nuclear program. We will have rolled back their program, frozen their facilities, kept them under severe restrictions, had observers. They will have made international commitments supported by countries around the world. South Korea and our other allies will be better protected. We will be in a stronger position to work with Israel, work with the Gulf countries, work with our other partners, work with the Europeans uh, to bring additional pressure to bear on Iran. It's smart. It's tough. It's a deal based on continuing inspection with safeguards for our allies and ourselves. The international community will be able to verify that the Islamic Republic of Iran will not develop a nuclear weapon. The entire world will be safer as we slow the spread of nuclear weapons. So there you have Bill Clinton on the the North Korean deal where they continue to develop nuclear weapons. And, And you got Barack Obama basically saying the exact same thing with Iran and nuclear weapons. And it turns out they, too, have been developing nuclear weapons the whole time. Both of them completely, I mean, in in the most charitable case, willfully naive, in the least charitable case, lying to the American public. It is now more and more clear that the Obama administration officials who sold the Iran deal were flat out lying to us because they've come out today saying, oh, they knew about all these documents all along. This is all old news. Pay no attention to what Israel has. Well, what Israel has 
is proof that Moshe Fakhrizadeh has been building nuclear weapons in, in Iran when the United States itself under Barack Obama wasn't sure the guy even existed, or at least they said so publicly, now willing to admit, oh yeah, they've known all along about this guy and what he was doing. Let me have a brief timeout for this week's sponsor, and that would be Quip, uh, which is a fantastic toothbrush. I love my Quip toothbrush. I have been using it for a while. Uh, the truth is most of us are probably brushing our teeth wrong anyway, not long enough. We forget to change our brush. Uh, I know for the longest time I went without changing my brush, and I didn't realize it actually sharpens. When you brush your teeth, it actually sharpens the bristles, and in the process of sharpening the bristles, you can do gum damage. You can wear off the enamel in your teeth, so you want to actually change your brush heads, and Quip does that. It's an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of the bulkier brushes. You can barely fit in the back of your mouth, and it packs just the right amount of vibration to help clean your teeth. It's got a built-in timer that helps you clean for the dentist recommended two minutes while guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. I really like it and it has a great subscription plan. They deliver new brush heads on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just $5 including free shipping worldwide. I actually just got new brush heads last week I think uh, for my toothbrush. Uh, so Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. So you get your first refill pack free by going to getquip.com slash Eric. That's G-E-T-Q-I, am I doing this right? G-E-T-Q-U-I-P. Let's try that again, shall we? G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Eric. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash E-R-I-C-K. That's getquip.com. Folks, listen, I have been using this toothbrush now for a while. I did just get my brush heads. It is great. And really the coolest thing, they don't really sell this themselves. And I'm just, I'm telling you, you don't have to travel with a recharger. Every electric toothbrush I've ever had, you had to travel with the recharger or it was really bulky because of the batteries. This one, they have streamlined it. It's one AAA battery. It has lasted me three months and still has charge in it. Uh, but yet when they sent me the new brush head, they sent a new battery with it too. So a great, great product. Highly recommend it. Getquip.com slash Eric. Interesting juxtaposition over the weekend. Uh, so you got the White House Correspondents' Dinner, where the, I'm old enough to remember when comedians tried to find the common ground we could all laugh at. Now it's just uh, tribalism, particularly of the left. Uh, the, the the nighttime, the the late night show comedians have just they've given up. Uh, versus the Avengers Infinity War movie. Took the kids to see it. Just there, I should give you profanity warning for the movie if you take your kids to see it. My nine-year-old and twelve-year-old, they very much liked it, but uh, language warning. Although, as my twelve-year-old said, if they were facing what they face, if I was facing what they faced, I might have used worse words. <laughs> I was like, you better not know any. Um, but you know, Chris Evans, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Samuel L. Jackson, the like. Um, they're all very liberal, uh, very, very liberal, very activist, hate the president. And yet they were able to produce a movie where you had Democrats, Republicans, white, black, liberal, conservative, all in there enjoying the same movie, laughing at the same things, gasping at the same things. It was nice to be able to have a distraction in America where we could still find common ground. Uh, it was just, it was a good entertaining flick. It is 
6.39 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. A couple of callers want to know what movie I was talking about having seen over the weekend. It was it was Infinity War, the Avengers Infinity War movie. Uh, highly recommend it. Let's go to the phones, shall we? Uh, Robert and Ellenwood, you're going to be the first caller tonight. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Eric. Um would it be possible that Obama wanted Iran to have nuclear war, um, nuclear weapons to uh, reduce the influence of U.S. domination as far as a superpower? Uh, that thing, Robert, me, I, that's- I have always suspected that the Obama team was privately okay with Iran getting nuclear weapons. Uh, I really do believe that, and they can deny it all they want. Uh, and I don't know if Barack Obama himself thought that, but I think a lot of the people who were advising him on his team were privately okay with it. And the reason I okay. think they're okay with it is because I think that they had it in their head it would bring stability. Well, I think Obama wanted it because, you know, in his campaign, he says he's going to reform the United States. And from a socialist, communist point of view, the uh, United States is um, a very, uh, not a good country. Yeah, yeah, you know, it is always funny how the Obama administration always tried to upend a longstanding precedent in U.S. foreign policy relations, uh, essentially to to overturn the post-World War II order. And that included uh, dealing with Iran uh, kindly and dealing with Israel and Saudi Arabia harshly. You see, here's the thing. Um, Barack Obama's team believed that Saudi Arabia was actually a more malevolent, disruptive player in the Middle East. And that the way to bring balance to the Middle East would be to allow Iran to be militarily resurgent. That if Iran were militarily resurgent, that Saudi Arabia would have a, a nation balanced against it, and so it could not be as aggressive militarily. I think it was a willfully foreign policy, naive foreign policy. Uh, too often, you found the Obama administration siding with the bad guys. I mean, look at Venezuela, for example. The Obama administration took a very light uh, touch to trying to reform Venezuela under uh, Hugo Chavez, or, or look at uh, how they dealt with Cuba. That they, they wanted to they wanted to aggressively pursue a foreign policy where our allies were disrespected, and our enemies were tried to convert. Uh, and it is part of the reason that we see so much instability in the world today. And one of the reasons there is so much intellectual heft invested in trying to defend the nuclear deal with Iran and trying to deny the realities of what Benjamin Netanyahu is painting today is because so much of uh, the Obama administration personnel are invested in the idea that they needed to be change agents in history. They needed to subvert the dominant paradigm in, in the language of the left. Because they didn't believe it was good. They thought it was a bunch of former slave owners and colonials creating a world order that oppressed the third world. And these guys are socialist, communist visionaries, uh, those who aligned themselves with Barack Obama. Remember, Barack Obama had more people advising him from nonprofits than from the for-profit world. And where did those people from nonprofits came from? They came from left-wing think tanks. 
And they have long been hostile to the world of Ronald Reagan, hostile to the world of even John F. Kennedy. They were they wanted to be revolutionaries in their own mind and trying to side with Iran against Saudi Arabia and the prevailing um, the prevailing peace in the Middle East is uh, aligned with Saudi Arabia and Israel was something they had to do to overturn a world they thought was put in place by bad people. That would be white Western men post-World War II. And that's why we had the Iran deal and why Iran is now closer than ever to getting a, a nuclear weapon. It, by the way, is, is one of the same reasons uh, that uh, the Clinton administration did pursue North Korea. They wanted to prove that they were better than their forebears from, who came out of World War II. Listen, I'm going to say something, and I don't intend it to be, don't want it to be perceived as disrespectful to Senator John McCain, who is dying uh, with brain cancer. He is home in Arizona. But he has a new book out, and in part of one of the things he says in his new book is that he can now be franker than he could be in the past, that, that he can say things he wouldn't have in the past. This is a man who ran a campaign billing it as the Straight Talk Express. Now suddenly saying that he can finally talk straight. I, I don't know that that's the case. But what I do know is that the media is going to celebrate his memoirs. Now, he, John McCain, he, contrary to, to some of the things that Trump supporters have said, is a very honorable man. He is a was a prisoner of war. A lot of people have tried to rewrite history, partisans who hate him on the left and among Trump supporters, claiming um, that he wasn't a prisoner of war or that something else happened. The fact is the man stayed behind in prison in Vietnam so that others could be let free. He did not want to be used for propaganda purposes. The man is a real war hero. Uh, others were freed because of John McCain's refusal to be made free by the Vietnamese communists during that war. I disagree with him on very much, though, in public policy. And I know that his memoirs are going to be seized on by the press and turned into another way, predictably, to attack the president. And I just, I, I got a chuckle to myself when I see that it is being billed as, as his time to finally open up, let loose, and be honest, when I distinctly remember him running a campaign called the Straight Talk Express that he was going to tell everyone what they didn't want to, what they didn't want to hear. He was going to give people the painful truths. Well, now he finally is. I mean, God bless him for saying what's on his mind. But maybe that means that back when he ran the Straight Talk Express, it wasn't quite that way. Maybe, possibly. If you missed a part of the show today that you want to get, you can text the word SHOW to 444-999 and get it. Um, so, I, you know, we talked about doing a listener cruise. And the logistics of it were, it was just, it was pricey for people who essentially are the demographics for my show. Um, uh, married with kids in school, and it was pricey. So we tried to regroup and do an Alaska cruise and just ran out the clock, it seems. Um, because the, the cruises, we couldn't organize it, uh, before school started and I want my kids to go and they couldn't go if it was during school. And I'd love to do an Alaska cruise. 
Uh, everyone says it's awesome. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to Austin, Texas, August 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Um, that is the week before school for most of us. Uh, for the resurgent gathering and if you've never been to austin it is a cool fun place if you want to come uh, it is 99 dollars the conference the price will go up to 149 at the end of may um, but it's still even with airfare and hotel and you get a good hotel discount at the sheraton right there by the texas state capitol uh, it, it'll be a good time uh, lots of lots of people it's it's smaller than your average political conference so you can actually have FaceTime. With the politicians and candidates, uh, Ted Cruz will be there. Dave Bratt, we've invited. We're inviting David Perdue from here in Georgia, and others should be a good time. If you're interested at all, if you want to register for it again, it's ninety nine dollars. Uh, you can text the word Austin A U S T I N. That's where it's going to be, Austin, Texas. Text Austin to three four five three four five. I'll get you the registration link with Eventbrite. Uh, I've just I feel very very strongly that we need a conference in this country for the conservative movement that focuses on the ideas we should all be fighting for regardless of who the president is. Because the conservative movement can be so divided right now over people's views of the president, but why should we be divided over sound public policy ideas that we should all support and the president should support? So text Austin to 345-345 if you want to come.